0: This series of Tilly at Home with is sponsored by Wonderlust. I don't know about you, but I've been really enjoying doing yoga at home, and I've been using their new Wonderlust TV platform. There's yoga, meditation, breathwork, and fitness classes on there, and all with world-class teachers from the US and the UK. Great news is that they're offering the listeners of this podcast a three-month subscription for just nine pounds. Everything's included in that, so there are no excuses. Just go to tv.1lust.com and use the code Tilly at home and find your true north. Welcome to Tilly at Home with Paul McKenna. Paul is a world-renowned hypnotist, behavioural scientist and Britain's best-selling non-fiction author. Over the last 30 years, Paul has helped millions of people successfully quit smoking, lose weight, overcome insomnia, eliminate stress and increase self-confidence. His work as a therapist has seen him specialize in helping people with trauma, PTSD and depression. Recently named by the London Times as one of the world's leading and most important modern gurus alongside Nelson Mandela and the Dalai Lama, Paul's unique brand of personal transformation has seen him working with Hollywood movie stars, Olympic gold medalists, leading business achievers, rock stars and royalty. Hi Paul.
1: Hello Tilly, lovely to see you.
0: Wow, what an honour. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh,
1: it's all a pleasure.
0: So I wanted to ask you, because I think at school, hypnotherapy is not a thing that you often get asked if you'd like to be one in the careers chat. (laughs) So how did it all start for you?
1: Well, you're absolutely right. When I was at school, you know, I, I wanted to be James Bond or something like that, or a pop star. But I was a radio broadcaster and I was working in local radio. But I was interested in yoga and meditation. And I had a particularly bad day. Uh, I'd broken up with my girlfriend. The people in the apartment where I was living were making a noise, keeping me up. And, um, you know, I also had a row with my boss. It was just like one of those days. And I had to go and interview the local hypnotist. And I sat down and he said, Look, rather than me explain it, mate, you need some. And I said, Knock yourself out, you know, kind of benevolently skeptical. Anyway, uh, what seemed like a few minutes was about half an hour. And it was amazing. Suddenly, the stress went. It was like burdens lifted. I felt so relaxed, and I could think really clearly. And I, as I woke up, I went, "Wow, I I need to to read a book on this." And he said, "Funnily enough, I've got one here." He lent me a book by Richard Bandler, who was later to become my most prolific teacher. And I began hypnotising my friends, you know, to quit smoking or lose weight. And sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. But I'd be at a party and I'd you know, be talking about it. And someone would say, oh, you wouldn't be able to hypnotise me. So i go, like, well, all right, well, let's see, shall we? Close your eyes, you know. <clears throat> and they'd be up and dancing like a ballerina and we'd all fall about laughing. And I thought, this is great. So I started doing uh, shows in pubs and clubs. And uh, and uh, and learning about it as it, as it, you know as I did, and it was a bit hit and miss at first, and then um, I went to work for Capital Radio in London, and uh, I did this process where you you imagine you remember where you were five years ago, you um, you remember what it's like to be in the now, and then you project five years into the future, and I realised that I would be older, bolder, more paranoid, and still working as a DJ, and I thought. <laughs> I'm not sure I want that. So I asked myself this question that a lot of the motivational uh, speakers do. What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? And I, in my imagination, I went, well, I, I'd be a hypnotist. I'd be doing stage shows. I'd be on television. I'd make, in those days, cassettes. And, and, you know, they'd, and, and I'd write books and things like that. And then I thought, wow, that's amazing. But who would I have to become in order for that to become true, well, I'd have to educate myself about things. I would have to take risks. I'd have to dress differently. I'd have to do all sorts of different things. And I was walking down Tottenham Court Road, and I suddenly had an epiphany. Capital Radio owned a theatre, and I used to make the promos uh, for the concerts. So I would say, see Pink Floyd in concerts, you know, things like that. And so I went to see the big boss, who's a wonderful man, a guy called Richard Park. And this was a destiny moment, because I think all success in life comes down to people backing you. If you have a shop, your customers back you. If you're a politician, your voters back you. You know, I said, Richard, look, I do um, these hypnotism shows in the evening. He goes, oh yeah, I've heard Paulio. And I said, is it possible I might um, be able to get a deal on hiring the theatre that we own and promo it on the radio station? I have to pay for it, right? And he went, he sat back in his chair and he went, I'll back you and I thought wow because I don't know if I'd have backed me you know I was this kid you know and he he, yeah so I had to go to the bank and borrow nearly a year's wages I hired a West End theatre and you know we played the promo on the radio station and the first week a couple of hundred people showed up the next week it was getting busy then Sunday I'm full sold out on a Sunday night and it became this um sort of cult sensation really and uh and and then one night a TV producer came in to see me a guy called Paul Smith who is very uh, successful talented producer who wants to be a millionaire and all sorts of other programs and he says I've been looking for you I've been looking for you for for 10 years and I went what do you mean he goes I've wanted to do a hypnotism show but unfortunately most hypnotists have got goatee beards and black shirts buttoned up to the top they uh, at the end of a pier performing, making poodles out of balloons and, you know, doing <laughs> daft sort of cabaret stuff. I want somebody who is, you know, young and televisual and that sort of thing, and I think you're it. So we made a, a pilot TV show, and pretty soon we had a massive uh, hit all over the world the show played, and I was doing, you know, live shows. Um, and, I, I, and I continued to do that for a number of years, and it got to a point where I thought... I'm 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 not looking forward to it anymore. I've sort of I think I've because I'm doing hundreds of shows, a couple hundred shows a year, and television in between, and and you know sort of I didn't really have much of a life outside work, and I'd become much more interested in hypnosis for personal development and therapy, and I'd begun training in that, and so uh, one day uh, I I just decided I have to leave that the shows alone and I need to concentrate on doing. In fact, by that time, I'd started a company training hypnotherapists and, and people in self-improvement techniques, and, and I'd written a, a best-selling a book um, called Change Your Life in Seven Days. And so I literally left that life behind and, and became a self-improvement author and motivational speaker trainer. And so there's my journey in a nutshell.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, you have such a huge body of work behind you. And happy marriage brilliant podcast it's very impressive actually um, thank you what is there anything that you would say that you had to overcome in order to maintain that constant sort of growth and um, all those different achievements over a period of time
1: things like I had to overcome so I'm not really a natural performer you know I had to learn how to particularly as a radio host you know you sit in a box right and so I had to learn how to walk out on stage and and connect with an audience and become a stage performer. And that was a bit difficult because I was quite shy. But also, I had to overcome people's prejudice. I mean, people said to me when I said, I'm going to become a hypnotist, they went, it's dangerous. I go, well, how do you know? Well, I, I just think it is. It's voodoo, it's witchcraft. And all other people would say it doesn't exist. It's nonsense, it's all just rubbish. And so there was a lot of resistance. Uh, um, and, and then also things like... Um, I suppose I had to... Yeah, I had to, to... When I started on television, I was discussed in the Houses of Parliament. And, you know, MP said, Is this dangerous? And I woke up one day and saw my face on the front cover of one of the tabloids. It said harmless or deadly, you know. Yeah. I, I Yeah, which was... Um, it was challenging, you know. So I, I did have a lot of challenges like that. I mean, I still... I still get resistance to ideas that have, things that I want to do, business projects or or, you know, for example, I've been working in the area of PTSD... And you would think, with, with a new technology that's created by a friend of mine that I helped in the development of, and uh, you would think people would be like, great, something else we can use now to help people. But of course, the institutionalized world of psychiatry doesn't see it that way, because if all you have is a hammer, everything's a nail. And so, you know, want some Johnny from the television showing up and thinking they can cure all this. So I believe we have possibly the cure for PTSD it certainly the the evidence suggests that it may well be but there's a lot of resistance uh, in people trying this within certain institutions because they have a particular way of looking at it and of course also if you're a drug company the last thing you want is competition
0: yeah and so, are you talking about havening
1: i am talking about havening oh, yeah.
0: brilliant because that was actually one of the things that i was going to ask you about yeah i listened to one of your podcasts uh, the other day when i was feeling a bit stressed out i was like oh i'm going to listen to and, and you talked about the havening technique. I've done it before, and, like, I'm stroking my arms now. Yes, yeah. It, it does work, doesn't it? Mm. And, and obviously it works very well for trauma, because mm. it, you could go back to something that happened in the past. Yeah. So would you just explain
1: Yeah, that? sure. So basically, havening, as in a safe haven, is a psychosensory therapy. Now, there are a number of these. There's one where you look up and move your eyes left to right, and there's another where you tap on various acupuncture points on the body, and havening involves the touch of the side of the arms, palms of the hands, and lateral eye movements. You can actually touch the side of the face, but during the pandemic, of course, we've been discouraged from doing that. Now, this is deceptively simple, but I'll I'll explain it it in a reasonably scientific, but simple way. So when you get traumatized, a 100 Hertz wave travels from the thalamus and phosphorates what's called the AMPA receptors. So it creates a biological change in the structure of the brain. When you touch the side of your arms here, from your shoulders down to your elbows, like that, and you stroke them like that, it feels comforting, yeah? Because you are hardwired to produce more delta. When you were a baby, your mother rocked you, held you in her arms and rocked you, and it felt comforting. So when you do it to yourself, or somebody does it to you, uh, this produces delta. And that dephosphorates the AMPA receptors. So it, it, it's really extraordinary. Within minutes, somebody who has been traumatized and suffering from that trauma still for years, for decades, um, they, what we do is we de-link the thought from the feeling through a simple protocol of the touch of the sides of the arms, the palms of the hands, lateral eye movements, and some visualizations like walking on a beach. And boom, suddenly they go, I can remember something bad happened. But I'm just not upset anymore, and because also because it takes minutes, it looks like magic. Yes. So again, people find it hard to believe. They go, no, 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 I ain't wait way, it can't. Or, or what I often get, they say, well, it's because it's you, isn't it? They're projecting on you that it's going to work. You know, says so all well, placebo. I said, well, no. Look at look at the actual scientific studies. The study we did with King's College here in London, and there's another one that's just only just been released. Uh, and these, are, this is irrefutable science this works on people uh, who have suffered extreme trauma They're war veterans rape victims or you know recently bereaved or something like that and so I have championed this because I see this as a very significant breakthrough that can improve the lives of of people all around the world. It works uh, works on most people most of the time, nothing works that well, and it also is very fast. In Mm. fact, there's a book written about it by a psychologist called 15 Minutes to Freedom. And the psychologist had you know, had this problem for a long time, tried the havening, boom, that was it, they were different. When it was first, when Ron, because we played around with different algorithms, but when Ron Rudin, the creator, when he came up with the algorithm we use now, and I was very upset about something, and uh, he did the protocol oh, I've got to try this, right? 15 minutes it must have been, that's it, yeah. and it just went. All the sadness and the anger and everything just gone and ambivalence, and so that's freedom.
0: Yeah, and is it, so is it like, so it's your is your part of your brain, the amygdala? Yeah. That, that has this response to the trauma or the, the stress, mm. and it doesn't know, from what I've understood, which is basic, um, doesn't know whether the event happened today or two years ago or 20 years ago, so then something that's similar that happens can trigger it. Yes. And the- so the havening, when you talk about that issue that it was, by doing the havening, you're subduing, relaxing the amygdala, so that next time you think about it, the amygdala doesn't flare up.
1: That's actually a very good description, yeah. The amygdala's job is to detect threat. And so, Uh, if you like a phobia which is an irrational fear is a one trial learning you get bitten by one dog mistreated by one dentist stuck in one elevator and then anything that reminds you any stimulus that reminds you of the original uh, trauma brings back all the fear so just the smell in the office the waiting room of the dentist's begins to create the tension you know you're on a flight one little bit of bumpiness boom the whole fear comes back yeah so what the havening process does is as you're quite right the amygdala's job is to protect but there's actually a book called when the past is always present and um, that's what what we draw from that is that even though you've survived a traumatic incident you can still have stress about it that's why it's called post Traumatic yeah. stress. Yeah. So even though the battle is over, um, you know, you, and terrible things you saw, people blown up and killed all around you, your mind, in order to protect you, keeps you in a state of um, hyper uh, alertness, or anything like. So, say one of the soldiers I work with. You know, he can be out enjoying himself, a firework goes off, he dives under the table and, you know, starts um, shaking and crying, right? Because he, he, a part of him is back in uh, Iraq. So what we do then is we desensitize that because when we flood the brain with Delta, uh, so this is an electroceutical um, therapy. We flood the brain with Delta, this um, dephosphorates the AMPA receptors, so they can't make the, the automatic connection, the jump, go, firework. Um, fight or flight bam you know like that that doesn't exist that connection's broken and so you can go firework oh yes that's a bang and it reminds me of bangs I've heard in the past but one doesn't automatically equal the other
0: yeah it's amazing so it's, con- it's sort of neuroscience isn't it yeah
1: yes I mean Ron Rudin is not just an MD medical doctor he's also a PhD in neuropharmacology and I think that it's his unique I suppose background and, and the hybrid of his uh, intelligences that has allowed this to take place. Because traditionally, operators like myself, we're out in the trenches, you know, rolling up our sleeves these researchers are sitting in labs torturing rats you know in their white coats and so traditionally researchers and uh, and operators don't always see eye to eye because we go look we're out there doing it and the researchers go but you wouldn't know whether it was working or not if it wasn't for us yeah. and of course both are right and so Ronnie being as I say a hybrid of researcher and operator he because this took him years to figure out and this isn't he's a hard scientist so he's not a psychologist he's not going well I'm do you think you feel better? He's yeah. looking at rats' brains, MRI scans, etc., and going, "Look, this is the, the touch of here, here, here. These movements create the delta, which is in which in turn creates the dephosphorylation uh, of the um, AMPA receptors."
0: So, do you think that, and you mentioned this earlier, the the issue that you're trying to overcome with this is that it's a pretty much free technique that people, once you tell them how to do it, I mean, obviously, yeah. with something more serious. You'd want to guide people through it, yes. but you know, we me on Saturday, feeling a bit hungover and a bit stressed out, yeah. stroking my arms. Then, you know, within a few minutes, did yeah. feel a lot better. So, yeah. is that that's the issue that people? If you can't make real a lot of money out of it, yes.
1: Well, you know, Ron said to me, Havening doesn't belong to me. It belongs to the world," which I think is a very it says a lot about the character of Ron, who's you know most, most remarkable people I've ever met. Um, but you're right. People can do an event havening, or, or or to make themselves feel better if they're anxious, or hungover, or, or any number of things, or if they've got a back pain. It works brilliantly on that.
0: Does it? Wow. Yeah.
1: And so it works well for a number of different things, or if people are feeling a bit low. But uh, for people who have suffered serious trauma, and uh, and are still troubled by it, to say yeah, might, or actually their life isn't functional, they should seek. Proper professional help and work with somebody who's experienced in this area. So you know, I wouldn't go. Tr- you know, don't go treating your own child abuse with something like this. Go see an yeah. expert. Yeah. And or if you're if you've got PTSD, again, go see an expert. However, could you relieve the symptoms of anxiety yourself with this? Yes. Yeah. And there are videos. I, I've put a number of videos up on, on you know, YouTube and, and other social media channels, so people can use this for free. But with something that is um, making your life dysfunctional, see an expert.
0: Yeah, okay. And what's your most proud achievement out of everything that you've done?
1: God, yeah, it's a really difficult question because, you know, I've, I suppose I'm proud of some of the things in in my work life, you know, and in, the, you know, the number of people, I looked at the number of, of my trances that people have posted all over the internet without, without authorization. by the way. And, you know, because they obviously just wanted to share them. And I was counting the viewings or listings, and I got to about 50 million. Wow! And I went, yeah, exactly. I thought, I didn't know in my lifetime I'd be affecting tens of millions of people. You know, when I started making cassettes, and I thought, oh, I can get to a few thousand people with that. That was back in the 80s, and then, you know, now it, it's, it's so, so much more as possible with digital media. So I'm proud of that sort of thing, and the, and the books, you know, again, have, have, they've helped millions of people. But, you know, when my wife tells me I'm a good husband, that makes me feel very proud. I really try to be a good husband. You know, I actually work at it. You know, actually, I don't think it's just you meet someone and that's, it. oh, it's a relationship is a process of relating. You know, when people talk about relationship, they're creating a nominalization And it's a dynamic process. And you can't put a relationship in a wheelbarrow. It's it's an ongoing uh, process, if you like. So um, I... uh, What else would I feel proud about? There are particular people that I've worked with who everybody else has given up on. And and I've I've been able to either significantly help or even cure. And that is a moment for celebration. I get up and do a little jig when something great like that happens. So I feel proud of those sorts of things. You know, I suppose also, I I think, you know, one of my favourite sayings is from the Dalai Lama. Kindness is my religion. And I think if I could spread a bit, you know, if I, th- if I think if I spread a bit more kindness in the world today, then then I'm proud of that, you know, so so that I suppose that goes to the course sort of my core values, you know, uh, which is um, and, and I fully intend to spread a lot more kindness and a lot more positivity out into the to the universe.
0: Yeah. And do you think now that in the UK that because I know that you worked a lot in the States and I was listening to one of your podcasts and I think Alan DeBotton said something about California Kool Aid. Like, you know, like Americans are like, do this and <laughs> you can achieve that. And, yeah. you know, obviously you were there for a long time and you were mm. really super successful there. Do you feel like now in England, the conversation is a bit more open to well being and mental health improvement?
1: Totally. And that's, you know, the very fact that we're sitting here, Tilly, having this conversation, I think is evidence of that. And, you know, go back 30 years um hypnotism self-improvement you know all sort of things actually even having a therapist you know i mean I'm, i would say something to you, like a friend of mine or a relative who was a bit down at say do you want to go and um see a therapist i'm not mad no, no it's for mad people and um nowadays the category of coach is a really good one as well because um unlike a therapist a coach elicits your resources to help you to have a better life, right, and to succeed and achieve. Whereas a therapist is usually to fix a remedial problem. But yes, uh, there's definitely much more of an appetite for well-being, self-improvement. The whole notion of human potential now is, is something that people uh, aspire to. You know, so so far be it to be something for a bunch of hippies, tree huggers, tofu eaters. You know, yeah. sandal wearers. No, actually, uh, people have realised that uh, mental health as well as physical health. Are really really good things to have because without them you can have all the money all the fame all the whatever but if you haven't got your health physically and mentally you've got nothing so that really is the fundamental I would say for anyone and everyone and everything there you know comes from that place so there's definitely a much more open minded uh, in fact it's actually become kind of cool you know and hip to talk about. It's trending isn't it? Yeah, Trending and so it should because you know Much as I believe in, you know, stiff upper lips, definitely, you know, but, you know, people get, um, unfortunately, get anxious or get depressed. We've seen the suicide rate double since the pandemic. Uh, We've seen the depression rates double. Uh, So we have a biological um, pandemic. We've got a psychological one going on as well. And right now. The fact that there's, you know, even people can discuss it without, without, say, feeling, you know, that they they might come across as crazy. That it's actually quite normal to feel sad, angry, anxious, depressed, whatever. That's part of the human condition, um, is a good thing. But the other really good thing is there's loads of really effective ways of treating it. So we don't have to medicate everybody for everything. We do have so many more alternatives now, and. In the same way that, say you bought a cell phone, a mobile phone in the 80s, it was, you remember there was the size of a brick, right? And all you could do is make phone calls. Now, a cell phone is the size of a bar of chocolate. You can watch television on it. You can have your record collection. You can have your office. You know, you can do so many things. And in the same way, psych tech has dramatically improved. I mean, years ago, it took six months to cure people's phobias. 99% of phobias now are about 60 minutes
0: wow that's amazing and and with everything going on like the news and the you know the environmental issues and mm. the economy and you know if you start watching the mainstream media you can get really quite anxious sure, and yeah. obviously you know that fear really weakens us weakens the immune system yes. um do you have like a what's your sort of survival guide for stress if you suddenly get overwhelmed do you have a few techniques
1: well i think you what you've just said is spot on that it understandably the job of the news organisations is to keep us informed about what's going on but the very nature of news is it's a motive right and so uh and television is designed to keep you watching so I, I, early on during the lockdown i remember saying to my wife, um, I was feeling a bit down. She went, have you been watching the news for, for the last couple of hours? I went, yeah. She went, well, oh, of course. So whilst it's important to be informed, if you sit there, you know, um, taking in the doom and gloom, and also the people I have talked to who've also been a bit down, they've said, it's come back to, they're thinking about what they can't do and they don't have, rather than, all the good things so my survival guide is simple one of the things I decided early on was I was going to get a routine because that's for a number of reasons that's psychologically very good and uh, that involved doing a gratitude list so I go out walk the dog and I think about all the things I feel grateful for so for example my health um, my friends uh, where I live in the world, we live in paradise here, you know, all the things I could look forward to. Like, I, I really like the first cup of tea in the morning, um, you know, and I like it when the sun shines, uh, but I feel grateful for, you know, for for all the fun people I know and things like that. So um, I then, uh, as well, started to think about things I could look forward to. But you know, for me, it's very simple, Tilly. Um, if you've got your health, brilliant. That's the biggest box ticked. If you've got friends, even if you can't see them, you can communicate with them through Zoom or Skype or something. Great. human connection, very important. If you have a roof over your head and some food in the fridge, brilliant. Uh, And if you have a purpose, not even a job, a purpose. Viktor Frankl, the famous um, psychiatrist who wrote uh, Man's Search for Meaning, he says, I love this, purpose is the cornerstone of good mental
0: health. Oh, that's lovely, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, so you think? Well, I'm just going to be get on with my family, be a good sister, be a good mum, and just instead of sort of projecting so far into the future. And actually, with the lockdown, that's what I kind of loved about it. It was like actually, all we can do is just be at home and do a puzzle and bake some sourdough, which I did probably a bit too much of. But <laughs> so that's really yeah. So that's lovely. Sure, do
1: you know? I think you're right. What the lock? Because the, there's no doubt, some people have found the lockdown very challenging because their routine's been disrupted. And we know from studies, whenever you ask, you know, what are you most frightened of? Uh, people will say the, the unknown is always in the top 10, right? So there's uncertainty about how the world is, the economy, uh, people's health, etc. cetera. But um, <clears throat> for someone like me, who's quite an active person, I thought at first, I don't like this. I, I'm bored of this. And then I thought, but I'm very competitive. So I thought, hang on. I'm not the only person sat at home. Everyone else is. Oh. Whew. So, you know, I didn't feel like I was losing out. And actually, a lot of things that I wouldn't have done. So you know, some of my friends have they said they've painted the house, they've done every DIY job, we've been clearing out cupboards, things like that or learning a new skill, you know, I decided, I'm getting quite good at cooking actually, but I decided instead of listening to the radio, I was going to learn about artificial intelligence and um, the future, so, I, and this is a great thing, you just Google it, you go, Artificial intelligence, easily explained. Bam, and someone pops out and explains it to you. Yeah. And uh, so, so I actually um, used it as an opportunity to learn some things. Plus, I've watched pretty much everything on Netflix now. I've completed Netflix.
0: <laughs> and it's a real sense of achievement, isn't
1: yes. it? Yes. Yes, yes. but a whole load of TV shows I would have never watched because I would have thought, don't have the time. Or it didn't grab me in the first 10 minutes. But because I'm not in my mind, uh, said... I could sit and go. Actually, let's give this one. Oh, oh, this is so good. Oh, that's brilliant. So um, I, 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 mean, thank God it happened now, not 20 years ago, when yeah. hardly anyone had the net and there were no binge box sets. So you know, I'm again. I'm pretty much an optimist. Yeah. But I, I yes, I've used this time. I, I, to either learn or to be entertained, uh, and also to work to some extent. I haven't been able to work at my usual breakneck speed, so it's been a bit like semi-retirement for me. Uh, but uh, I've actually, I'm, to what I'm really amazed by is these the the webinars now, because a lot of my events in you know different parts of the world, so I couldn't travel there and do them, and people can't gather. But I've been doing them online, and uh, I wasn't sure how well they'd work. They work great, and these are events with a thousand people or ten people, and obviously different. You know, so you get much more um, one-to-one in a small group, but they work and people like the fact they don't have to travel they don't have the expense or you know the kerfuffle they can sit in their living room watch you and join in yeah uh, so it's that's worked very well
0: you still get that performance thing because I guess you've learned to become a performer as well yeah. and, the, and so even on a smaller screen you're still performing and connecting with people I suppose
1: yes uh, you're right I mean as a tech that, that, that I think you know as a television broadcaster I yeah I actually know how to speak to a camera but I'm sitting there as a therapist or as a a coach, doing what I would do with somebody if they were sitting in my study. It's just there's obviously lots of other people watching. So, yeah, it's really amazed me how well it works and how effective it is, because I I thought some of the magic would be lost because it's very two-dimensional, but somehow it isn't, it it works great.
0: Yeah, it's probably like quantum physics, isn't it? You know? It's just, yeah, the the invisible thread between us all is is basically kind of the internet in a way,
1: isn't it? it. Yes, exactly, it's all just atoms and molecules vibrating at various densities and frequencies.
0: Yeah. We are just interrupting this episode to bring you a short message from a wonderful charity that we're supporting. I am really happy to say that this podcast is working with the Cross River Gorilla Project to raise awareness of the critically endangered Cross River Gorilla and support the local rainforest communities. With only about 300 of these great apes remaining in the world, this comes at a crucial time. The Cross River Gorilla Project would love you to sign up to their website, which is free, and help share their story. You can also follow them on Instagram at Cross River Gorilla and see how you can make a difference. So I try and have this sort of 80-20 approach to health. Sometimes I screw up completely and it seems to switch to 20-80. But do you have like a health program, a good way to detox? I was thinking some of the things with me is I beat myself up, I think, oh my God, why did I have that extra glass of wine? Like, Really, did I need that? But then I was thinking for you, because you have all these techniques and skills of mental training and acumen, Do you never get, uh, you know, do you ever feel bad? Do you ever beat yourself up? Sure,
1: sure, sure. I mean, look, I I think, you know, I've on occasion felt anxious during, um, you know, the lockdown. And I think it would be, probably strange if you didn't because the world's upside down and so that feeling fear it says be prepared so it's got a job but you know if you're catastrophizing then it's overdoing its job um i've certainly put on a few pounds i'm gonna have to read one of my own books because <laughs> because the you know I, I i suppose i've eaten at times when i'm not truly hungry i just wanted to change how i felt i felt bored or something yeah. so uh um, in fact my wife went and put a question mark on the fridge right? <laughs> so, so I could go am I hungry or am I just trying to change how I feel and so um I don't have all the answers but I have some of them and uh I, I I at the very beginning Tilly, I thought I can see the way this could go and I I thought yeah nothing to do I'm gonna sit around and watch tv drink too much eat too much actually that I want to move away from. So I deliberately I have I need to start taking physical exercise again. I mean, certainly a walk in nature, it, you know, is a really good form of, of of exercise and reduces stress. But also things like uh, yeah, as I say, I do a gratitude list most days, and um, and and if I get stuck with something, if I go, I'm really wound up about this or fretting about this or whatever, you know, there's plenty of other people I can talk to, but I suppose. I suppose it's human to have sometimes. When I like, was one day where I just felt really flat and I didn't know why, I couldn't put my finger on it, and I thought that's that's the way I am today, you know. But then I sat and read through my gratitude list, and actually it soon passed.
0: Yeah, and um, and because you do so much work with people on success and achievement in, in relationships and work and everything, do you ever have to say to people, you know what? that's a ridiculous goal you're trying to achieve or you're actually overachieving? Do you ever do you ever need to bring people back?
1: Well, do you know, funny enough, actually, it, it's not, it, it's in that, yes, it's in that sort of genre, but uh, yes, it was a friend of mine a couple of years ago, a billionaire businessman, and we were chatting about things and he didn't realise, because this is somebody who, like most overachievers, you know, gets up to, um, you know, to make money to to grow businesses, to, you know, loves the game of business, right? And the the money really is a way of keeping score now. But, uh, and in the course of our conversation, he said, well, actually, I've done it, haven't I? I've achieved everything i set out to. And that was, I could see it was a really amazing insight for him. And um, I would say, uh, you know, even if I look at my own life, I... Used to be a fanatical goal setter. And when I moved to Los Angeles uh, about fifteen years ago, it was great because you know I'm very ambitious. Everyone there is an overachiever, so it's like going to Lourdes, you know it's a healing experience. <laughs> you know we're all in the same game, right? Who can be the busiest? Who can you know and of course, um the bigger uh, isn't always the best, better. And so uh, I suddenly realized that I was kind of addicted to stuff, you know, How bigger house more cars more money more fame more power and that's like a drug the more you have the more you need and so i switched to living a value driven life so i tick the box each day or i try to do i feel healthy physically psychologically do i feel loved was i loving to my friends and do they love me and my family Uh, do i feel creative did i do something creative today did i make a positive difference um, do I feel Did I laugh a laugh that I really enjoy laughing I'm I find amusement in a lot of many daft silly childish things pranks but you know also um I mean, just, you know, or the sharing of daft videos. In fact, I got, a friend of mine sent me a couple last night, which I had to watch about 10 times, I was laughing so hard. <laughs> and, and things like that, so laughed, but laughing be about any number of things. Usually the laughter is at my expense, because my wife is very, um, she's very witty. And so the day starts with her making fun of me. So, so yeah, or, you know, uh, things like playing with the dog, you know, and so, um, yeah, I tick the box. You know, did I live my values? If you're living your values, I believe you're living a rich life. So a billionaire can afford a better bed than you or I, but they can't buy a good night's sleep. So when I've had a good night's sleep, I go, yes, I'm sleeping rich. Rich in the, 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 you know, the true sense of the word, not just wealthy.
0: So with the, um, with all this stuff that you teach, with confidence, I was interested to know, is confidence something that is like, okay, she's confident or he's confident, or do you... Do you teach people to be more confident generally or do you teach them to be more confident about a specific thing?
1: Okay, so both. I wrote a book about um, confidence about 15 years ago. And, um, you know, when I was doing it, you know, people would say to me, oh, a training manual for arseholes. I mean, what what do you mean? Oh, those confident (laughs) people are in your face. uh, Oh, no, no. Those people are in your face. They're actually very unconfident. They're overcompensating really truly confident people are comfortable in their own skin so somebody like Simon Cowell is a very confident person I don't know Jamie Oliver very well but he strikes me I've met him a couple of times he's quite comfortable in his own yeah. skin and so people who are authentic if you like they're naturally confident and what's interesting is you find some people are very confident in one situation but not in another you know there was an executive once i worked with who could talk to um you know uh, 10 people in a small group but put him in front of the company a thousand people and he finds it terrifying and other people vice versa you know some people i've worked with actors and actresses some are very confident on film but not on stage and vice versa. And, you know, it also depends on the environment. I I actually had to, I'm godfather to friend of mine's son, his his dad's Roger Moore, right? And um, and at the christening, I had to follow Roger Moore, you know, and so, yeah, he's not just the most charismatic (laughs) person in the world, but he's also funny, right? And so I'm not normally, you know, nervous public speaking, but I think, I'm just following James Bond. No, so shit. so it depends on the environment. If I haven't prepared what I'm about to say and I'm about to talk to a group of people, that would make me feel unconfident, and right. so it should. Because, see, the feeling of fear is it's got a message, which is be prepared. So if I'm about to step off the curb, there's a bus coming in my direction, fear pulls me back, keeps me alive. Yeah. But you just don't want to live in fear, right? Because it's exhausting, it doesn't feel good. And it ultimately will lead to health problems. You said earlier, you know, weakens immune system. So, the the idea of confidence is that people think confident is walking out and giving a good presentation. No, you it can be going around Tesco's, just knowing I need this, I need this, I need this. Yeah, it doesn't have to be saving the world. And so, I teach people confidence so they can use it in social situ- situations. A friend of mine said to me, this guy's tech genius, right? And he said to me a while ago, he goes, you know, I'm. Like when you go to a party or some social gathering and you, you talk to people you don't know, I went yeah. He goes that's a real skill, isn't it? I went is it? He? he went yeah. Now he can you know he can figure out he can do equations and build kit and all sorts of things that nobody else can, and to him that's another day at the office, right? Whereas the social thing, I was like oh do you find that? T-? I said oh because I don't really think about it like that. Whereas I couldn't do what you do so. Yes, confidence in social situations is something that a lot of people want. The fear of public speaking is the largest phobia in the Western world now, and that's created usually at school. You get to stand up in front of the class. You read something out while someone at the front of the room points out all your mistakes and other people snigger. So uh, no wonder people are worried about being judged when they speak in public. So if you haven't prepared what you're going to say and the audience might be hostile. Sure, have some fear, but you really don't want to go into a state of of heightened anxiety before you're about to speak, because you'll probably create the self-fulfilling prophecy of 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 you know, stumbling over your words and, and forgetting what you're talking about. So um, what I do with people in regard to confidence very often is something that athletes do, which is mental rehearsal. Just imagine winning the event over and over again, or imagine the thing going well over and over again. As my friend Richard Bandler says, disappointment requires adequate planning. So very often, People who are worried that they're going to make a mess of something and they feel anxious about it have rehearsed that over and over and over again in their mind. I see. And yeah. that's <laughs> how they end up bringing it about. And, um, and so um, we've got to often think about what we do want, not what we don't want. Um, I worked with a famous golfer he kept hitting the ball in the bug. right? And so I flew out to Florida and you know went out on the course with him. And uh, he said, look, this is the problem. There's the pin, there's the hole in the distance. And there's the bunker over there. And he he went up and bam! And and the thing went, not just in the bunker, but right in the centre of the bunker, perfectly. (laughs) And so I said, so what what happened? What did you think about Well, he goes, I thought I mustn't hit it in the bunker. So I said, well, you see, the human mind doesn't process the negation. If I say to you, don't think of an elephant, you have to think of the elephant to then not think of it. You know, push the picture away or put an X through it or whatever it is you do. So I said, what I'd like you to do is to think... I mustn't hit the ball in the hole. He went what? <laughs> I said, we're going to use that mechanism. He went, I, it, it, just ha, just humour me. He goes, I mustn't hit the ball in the hole. but right next to the, bo- the hole. Wow. And the next day he went out and he, he, he got a hole in one the next day as well. So very often people are thinking about what it is they don't want. I don't want to be overweight. I I don't want to drink too much. I don't want to be nervous when I get on the stage, etc. And of course, the more they do that, the more likely it is to happen. So it's important to think about what could go wrong so that we can head those things off at the pass or be prepared. But it's very important to think about how we want things to go right. So when I'm about to do, say, I'm doing a webinar this Friday, I'm thinking about... Yeah, what could go wrong? People could, there uh, could be this technical problem, like that, like that, happen. Like that. Right, tick all the boxes to make sure that doesn't. And how do I want it to go? I want to hit that, 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 that point. I want to deliver it in this particular style, and I do that over and over again in my mind several times, and then I'm teed up for how it's gonna go.
0: Wow, amazing, and is that, so that's also your success mindset, so you visualize, I've heard you talk about visualizing these big goals, like Big enough to get out of bed, you said, which I yeah. thought was so brilliant actually, because <laughs> I think my goals are probably just sort of a bit medium size. <laughs> They're not nearly big enough. Uh, but then you have to have the steps to make to go to, then break it down to the steps to get to the goal.
1: So. That's right. So you're absolutely right, Tilly. So you you need a big goal, right? Everybody needs something big, as you say, to get them out of bed in the morning. But often when people only have a big goal, they go, well, you know, that's just um. It's overwhelming, I'll never achieve that and they give up and so uh, whilst it's important to have a big goal or set of goals or uh, something to achieve off in the future, there will be smaller goals on the way to that occurring. So for example, there was a lady who used my weight loss system and she lost 12 stone, I think it was and she ran three marathons. And I said to her, so how did that happen then? She says, well, you know, I, I just um, started walking the dog and I thought, <clears throat> walk the dog a bit further tomorrow. And then after a couple of weeks, I know, I'll go for a bit of a jog, I'll put my me, me, um, kit on and actually I quite like this jogging. And then I jogged a bit further and further and further and then I thought, you know, I could actually do a half marathon. And then eventually a full marathon. And If I can do one, I can do two. If I can do two, I can do three, right? So it was a bit at a time. And so, for example, when I decided to give up sugar, I used to have two spoonfuls of sugar in my tea every day, right? Two big, lovely, heap spoonfuls. (laughs) So I just knocked a bit off the top, and a bit more off the top, and a bit more off the top. And after a couple of weeks, that was it. I didn't miss it at all. Yeah, so very often, if we want to achieve something, we have to break it into chunks. When my friend Richard Bandler uh, was teaching the American Army about shooting, uh, what they used to do was go, right, there's the target 100 yards away. See who can hit it, right? Oh, you're obviously a good shot, you're a bad shot. You went, nah. Everyone gets a go, but at 10 feet away. And once you've mastered 10 feet, then we move it 20 feet, then 30 feet and so on. And of course, then everyone's a good shot. So so really with with goals, have a big goal is my approach. Really big and exciting, make a big, bold, bright picture in your in your imagination. And then smaller pictures on the way to having achieved that. So if say, I, I want to imagine a year from now right and i've had the best year ever right i'm gonna think well if that's true what must have happened in regard to my health in regard to my relationships personal professional my career my finances my spiritual life my happiness and suddenly i've gone well if that's true well yeah it's good but what must have happened three months before that oh, okay, that must have happened. And then three months before that, oh, that must have happened. Three months before that, that must have happened. And so then I've got a roadmap. I've literally um, trained my conscious and unconscious mind to know what my big goal is, but also the steps on the way. And and so that then seems much more achievable because I meet people who go, well, I, I've got a sort of vision board and I'd really like to change the world, you know and I thought that's great but you know they haven't been very precise about what it is and how they're going to get there and so if you put vagueness out you get vagueness back
0: yeah okay that's good to know isn't it okay and it's quite clear actually and you can apply it to any, any goal that you want to achieve which yeah. is what I think makes it very you know, I don't feel like I have to write, write all that down in notes. It's yeah. actually very, I think you, that's what you do so well. You deliver it in a way that people actually understand, I suppose, which is your.
1: Well, thank you. Technique. Yes, that is the. Yes, I mean, I, I, people in the past have said to me, these books are right, you know, they're just common sense. I go, do you know how hard it is to, to take what are essentially complicated psychological uh, practices or techniques or theories, or whatever, and translate them into common sense. I mean that. I, I, I mean I, I think that is probably one of the things that I do. That's one of my skills: is is to try and make it very user friendly and accessible, rather than write more psycho babble. Because there's plenty of that in the world.
0: Yeah, is there anything that you haven't done that you want to do?
1: Sure. So I'd like to get more people in the world into a positive state of mind and body. Because, very interesting, when there's a boxing match on television, the murder rate goes up, right? It can go up as high as 12.4%. Wow. Now, when you get a group of meditators together in a city and they meditate for two weeks, the violent crime rate goes down dramatically. And this experiment has been done over 50 times in places like Washington, Jerusalem, all over the world. So um, my friend Dean Radin suggests that this creates a peace field effect, is what he calls it. And so... Uh, Right now, we have a lot of fear-based aggression in the world. You know, if you open a newspaper, turn on the TV, we're under attack, right, from the virus, terrorists, the economy, the the this, the left, the right, the whatever, right? (laughs) And so that's creating way too much stress and trouble in the world. And so if we can get more people into, I mean, one of the good things about lockdown is meditation has gone uh, people doing meditation has gone way up because people feel they've got more time, right? Yeah. But that's a really, really good thing to do—meditation for your psychological and physical well-being, irrefutably proven. It, it enhances immune function. does all kinds of great stuff. Uh, so I want to get more people into more positive states. Uh, essentially, I sell solutions. You know, I my apps or my books help people lose weight, quit smoking, become confident, sleep well at night, etc. And and also I'm going to I'm, you know, at the moment I've got a project we're looking at which is a radio station that is purely about positivity positive messages and feel good basically it's about feel good yeah uh, so the, yeah it's a project I've been looking at for a while but I intend to do I, last year I I spent more time. I did more live events than I've ever done in my life, uh, self-improvement live events. And so some of them were actual seminars or training. Some of them were just motivational speeches, etc. But I flew all over the world doing it. Of course, that's not been possible this year. But my intention is to do way more of that and to do webinars. And I am a psychological designer, so I develop techniques in the process of the work that I do with people. I developed something recently which... um, it was for eating disorders, and I taught it to. I mean, it's a friend of mine who's the king of the eating disorders. So I said, I, I phoned him. And I said, John, I've got something for you, you know. And so, <laughs> so whenever one of us develops something, we would ring us. I've got something. Try this, right, for accelerated learning, or try this for, uh, you know, for phobias or something. So I keep designing stuff, but I do an eighty-twenty audit on my life from time to time, and you, you, I'm sure you know you're familiar with eighty-twenty, right? So eighty percent of your of your carpets walked on 80% of the time. 80% of the things a computer does is down to 20% of the software. 80% of the cost of crime is down to 20% of the criminals. 80% of the money you make comes from 20% of your efforts. 80% of the fun you have will come from 20% of the people that you know and things you do. 80% of the problems will come from 20% of the people you know. So get rid of them. Or certainly don't spend as much time around them. So I was thinking about what... What do I love to do? You know what do I love to do so much? I pay to do it? Well, I love traveling to exotic places, but what I really love is is stimulating conversation with people I like. sometimes people I don't know but get to know. And that's what my podcast has allowed me to do. But also good food, good wine in a in a great location. and And laughter, particularly laughter. So uh, I'm sort of I'm I'm a curious person. I, I've resisted having a smartphone until about two weeks ago, uh, because um, I just didn't. I thought if I've got my office and everything on my phone, I'll be on it all day long. With my ADHD, I'll never be off it. You know. <laughs> but actually, I've really enjoyed it and making daft videos, yeah. which which we, um, I keep <laughs> sending to friends, and they send me back, or you know just. Very, very funny recordings. Thing. So so. what I haven't done yet is, is um, I'm setting out to is to get more people feeling better about themselves, you know, and also I like to think I entertain people as well. I'd probably like to do some more television, uh, although the television I've done in recent years has all been self-improvement TV, aspirational TV. I've been approached by, but people come to me with formats, but you know, with television, it takes a long time. It gets through several committees of, people and they tinker with it and then eventually two years later you're on the air but i like the idea of aspirational or self-improvement tv and of course tv isn't really the same as it was a few years ago television now can be in in different forms on the internet i did a fantastic project with a company called mind valley at the beginning of this year and uh what they do is they're essentially a publisher that the founder vishan is this dynamic brilliant guy right and we've become friends. And he said, so I think we should do something, Paul. You know, different. Come on. We, and you come, you come, we bounce some ideas around him. Stress. Too much stress in the world, right? And so we created essentially what's a series of TV shows. It's 21 12-minute lessons, right? And so people consume these on their smartphone or on their tablet or whatever. And so it's like a, a book. But instead of you reading it, I pop out and do it to you. I explain a bit and then I do a technique, nice. and you've got it on your phone or you've got it on your tablet. Yeah. And, uh, and I thought this is a great way because it combines my my skills as an author, but as a broadcaster, and using modern digital technology to rather than say you know you write it down and you do some diagrams and people try and do the thing in their head, they've got me on tap twenty four hours a day on their smartphone, and I pop out and go, pow! Here's how to feel better. So. Things like that. And in fact, I'm, I'm going to do another one of them uh, with Mind Valley, uh, and I really like them. I think I think because now we're going into this in, in this this extraordinary time, the Chinese call this time Wei Chi, which is two characters: danger, opportunity. What I foresee is that the big big jump is artificial intelligence. There's there's we're into an exponential curve of technological development and what AI will bring is many good things there are some people who've got concerns as well you know that is it going to turn into Terminator but what's going to be very interesting is 3D printers the the marriage of cyber technology and human physiology you know, I mean essentially we'll be able to three D print various versions of ourselves and live alternative lives. I mean, I want to genetically clone me and I have like hundred of <laughs> me out there working while I sit on the couch watching yeah. Netflix. Oh my
0: god, you'll make a fortune. That'd be great, <laughs> wouldn't it? Like, yeah, I'll have one of them. Yeah, yeah.
1: one of them. Yeah. <laughs> or just print yourself and send yourself off into the universe because eventually you will be able to manipulate matter and we'll be able to you know, you'll be able to take a rock and manipulate it. It's, I think what the name of this Computonium. That's it. And so we'll be able to spread our intelligence. Our humanity if you like. Through the universe. Yeah. But at what point does. Artificial intelligence. No longer become a machine. And become li- a, a living organism. Yeah. yeah. And you know I mean people say of course when the body when a body dies it weighs 22 grams less is that the soul right and so does artificial intelligence have a soul well it can certainly have feelings at which point it's got human rights Mm. so there are all kinds of interesting moral questions Uh, more questions than answers I would say but i don't really know a lot about it all i know is the future's coming it's coming fast because you will find it'll get to a point of 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 the exponential curve will be that literally every second a nobel prize-winning breakthrough will take place in the world and at that point our human species goes through an evolutionary change from which we cannot return by the way but could be awesome
0: yeah and people are going to need at that point um the mind power and techniques like you know that we actually do know how our mind works and use it in the right way to manage all that because i mean your head could explode with the amount of possibilities and you know, so it will well, be a really important time. Yes for your...
1: and no. I mean, I wonder if what I do will then become redundant because um, you, you know, basically we will Bluetooth with the cloud, right? With with the World Wide Web, and with the with the, all the intelligence. I don't quite know how that's going to work mm. or what my browser history will look like.
0: <laughs> you know, you know what's really funny. You might look, so Lola, we were listening to your podcast today in the car, and Lola went, "I know, I know that voice. I know that voice." And and she was like, "I was like, do you know? Yeah, maybe you know." And she was like. Is he Siri? Siri! <laughs> <laughs> and it was so funny, I suppose, because you have this very sort of authoritative, kind of calm, sort of practical, you know, uh, uh, obviously humour as well, but so yeah, maybe you, your voice will actually be sort of the, the Become voice the, of the Become the, uh, the
1: omnipresent voice. Yeah. Bo- Do you know, <laughs> yeah. I, like, I like debating with Siri, right? And usually when I've had a couple of glasses of red wine, I go, Siri, what are you not? When are you? <laughs> how, how do you know that you're not Siri if you aren't?
0: How many answers has Siri programmed oh, S- in? S- Siri, the... <laughs> it,
1: it, it, I think. I think Siri is getting hacked off with me actually, and so some Star Wars laser bolt from the sky may come and knock me out one day because I've, I've if I, I did I enjoy teasing. You know, it's just my sense yeah. of humour. But um, yes, given that see the thing is, there's something called the Turing test, which is there will be a point fairly soon when you will be able to talk to a computer and you won't know it's a computer, right? Because the artificial intelligence will be significantly developed. And that's interesting, but I think what's more interesting is is the point where the computer uh, knows that that it can convince you, but doesn't let you know. Yeah. And it's secretly there and off doing all its stuff because the whole nature of artificial intelligence is to know what it, it wants to know, what it doesn't know, which is why it's a super form of intelligence and will be far greater than our intelligence, essentially. And so it's not a binary thing where the, the artificial intelligence goes, do well, we need these guys for. Huh? No, it'll just go. we'll all become part of the same intelligence. Mm. Now, that sounds a bit Borg-like from Star Trek. I'm, I'm, uh, you will be assimilated. No, I don't think it's like that. I tend to be much more optimistic and see it as a marriage of what is essentially a species that's the way I look at it mm. and, um,
0: and we, we're already using it as well because like your iPhone is like an extension of your arm yes, really yes your computer is an extension of your brain so we um, and we're very relaxed about those work fairly relaxed about well those you're
1: ones. right so so yes you, you we are already interfacing with the world wide web with the cloud right? And the thing is, it's your, the, the, the speed at which your fingers can tap the buttons, or you can speak to it, determines. And that's the slow bit, right? Mm. So as soon as Elon Musk has developed his Bluetooth that sits at the back of your head, mm-hmm. and you instantly connect with the cloud, with the web, right? that's when it gets interesting. Obviously, well, it's terrifying <laughs> for some people. I, mean, I, yeah, I mean, he's he's definitely saying, Woo, whereas people like Ray Kurzweil, who's written that brilliant book, The Singularity is Near, is way more optimistic about it, and and so I I'm, I tend to be an optimist. You know, it's not to say that there won't be trouble. You know, of yeah. course there'll, there'll still be wars, there'll still be you know injustice, there'll still be all sorts of stuff going on that won't be good. But if you look at how much better life is, there's that brilliant book Factfulness. We are healthier, we are richer, we are freer we are so much better off, despite all the bad stuff that's going on, than we were, say, 100 years ago.
0: Yeah, and it's funny, isn't it? Because I think some people want to be like, oh, they're bad, they're trying to take over this, and this is happening mm. because of this. And yeah. But actually, uh, it's not like that. We're in a system, right? So there is, it's a combination of this, of that, of all these different things happening together. And yeah, I think you have to be optimistic and positive that people do have good intention. Maybe some people don't have good intention, but you got to hope that the good intention mm. Oh, you know the light when you open turn on the light and walk into a room it's not dark any longer so you gotta you know it's that classic sort of light and dark kind of sure. battle isn't it so.
1: yeah no I agree you know it's 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 not binary it's not either good or bad it's nuanced but is there more good in the world than bad well right now I'd say yeah uh, and I and you know I think being an optimist is a good thing beats the alternative
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> and so I do also want to know how do you chill out? Like Because people are working from home a lot, we're working all the time, your computer's always on. What are your tips?
1: Well, it's a, that's a very good question. And of course, it's everyone's going to be different and you have to find your own uh, balance. I used to treat life like a marathon. I would just go at it until I burned out, which I did. I would, you know, every few months and then I would spend a bit of time recovering. And then I realized it was a false economy. So now I treat it like a series of sprints and I build in recovery time. Or if I feel I'm getting run down um, I, and if I can, I then stop, withdraw, replenish, yeah? And so uh, and things like, for example, what works really well for me is meditation. My favorite is the big mind meditation. Um, uh, the also some physical exercise, walking in nature and things like acupuncture, osteopathy, all these things that work very well on me. And, uh, and, and on other people I know. Also, I'm a fan of uh, energy healing. And uh, things that I like to do is I kind of like to watch, I like action, shows, cop shows, that sort of thing, but I also like mind-numbing ones, you know, like um, I'll find a documentary on something that just about holds my attention but doesn't really excite me, you know on fly fishing or something like that, or I watched a great documentary, it was on the BBC iPlayer about how they dug the Victoria line, which was sort of just interesting enough, but not really exciting you know, so, <laughs> you know, that's a sort of a meditative state I find cooking very therapeutic I like listening to music and I've always really enjoyed and I've, uh, quite a varied selection and now of course there are all these different internet radio stations so you can listen to music from the you know I, I particularly like music from the 70s and 80s and a bit from the 90s I don't understand the music of today it all sounds the same to me I've become old <laughs> and so you know it's funny because a few years ago I made um, a record with um, with Paul Oakenford all right and it was we sampled hypnotic suggestions into a trance track and it was great so I went to clubs to listen to electronic music, and I was, it's funny, I was I was on a flight to Ibiza next, I was sitting next to Pete Tong, and I said to Pete, um, I go, Pete, Pete, I've got to ask you something, right? He goes, yeah, I said, um, am I getting old, or does all this music sound the same, right? And he went, you're getting old, mate. And so, <laughs> he's laughing about it, you know, <laughs> and so... When I look at the charts, and I see Bing Bong featuring Doodah or something, I really don't understand it, right? But occasionally, sort of like Calvin Harris, like, Mm. fantastic, you know? So I can appreciate some of the music from the young people of today, (laughs) those popular beat combos, you know? Um, But I tend to like, you know, classic rock and glamorous disco music from the past. And then occasionally there'll be something that is Absolutely fantastic! That I think some, you know, I hear some dance track or you know um, something on the radio, or I think that is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I I'm sort of um, a bit old fashioned, really. That's what I've decided.
0: Yeah, well, and that's good though, isn't it? It's classic It's mm. heritage.
1: It is, and at the same time, I've got a real interest, even though I don't really understand a lot of the technology. I understand how it can be beneficial. So I didn't understand how we I know how to make television, but with the Mind Valley course. So hang on, you're gonna make 21 12 minute lessons. I went, mean, yeah, people's attention span. Yeah, you're gonna on
0: it. YouTube, watching it on YouTube, yeah.
1: Yeah, that and you know, Alan de Botan has done a similar thing, school of life, ten minute, brilliant bits of philosophy, beautifully delivered, you know, absolutely fantastic. So I, I mean what's interesting about five years ago Bill Gates said five years time from now the best lessons by the best teachers will be all available on the internet for free and so you've got things like TED Talks you've Mm. got School of Life you've got all these great stuff great stuff uh, that's available a lot of it for free so that's affected non-fiction books sadly but at the same time there's a new genre of publishing now, which is you know these online courses.
0: Yeah, and and in some ways you could reach you could actually reach a much bigger audience yes. now without even really having to get out of bed almost, which is
1: that's quite right. Fabulous. So you, you know you're absolutely right, Tilly. That years ago you had to have you had to do so much to get distribution. You know you actually had to have the book printed in the other languages. You had to travel there and promote it and mm. all. Of it. Now you can you can create something. I mean. You know, I interviewed KSI the other day, who has 30 million followers uh, wow. to his YouTube subscribers on his u- wow. YouTube channels. Yeah, he sits there gaming. People watch him and, uh, and enjoy it, yeah, yeah. and enjoy him in the experience. Yeah. You know, and so he decides, right, I think I'll be- become a professional boxer. And he does that. And then he does, oh, I'll do. A, I'll do. I'll become a rap star. Yeah. You know, I mean, and, you know, 10 years ago, he was sitting in his bedroom making these funny videos and bingo, he's created a worldwide empire.
0: Yeah. There we go, the World Wide Web. Yes, World Wide Web. Well, here we are. Thank <laughs> you so much, Paul.
1: Real pleasure. Lovely talking to you as always.
0: Thank you so much for giving me the time. It's been such a pleasure. Not at all. I've learned pleasure. so much and I'm sure everyone else will. And your oh. videos are available on your YouTube channel. You've got... Loads, so many books you've written, and you're performing on webinars, and we just follow you and learn more. And
1: thank you. Well, it's you know, look, it's always a pleasure talking about things that I feel passionate about or like. And very often in an interview, it's it's very journalistic. So you know, it'll be um, it'll be about something about my personal life, or it'll be, or you know how is it people can sleep better or something like that whereas with this we got a very interesting conversation about sort of the way the world is and where I think it's going which is again I often until I actually open my mouth and speak I thought, yeah I am really thought about that but I suppose that's what I think You know, <laughs>
0: it's all your it's your AI research and in lockdown coming yes! out now it is that's it is well,
1: I could be wrong but you know at the moment that's what I believe
0: yeah okay well it sounds good anyway it's going to be positive which is the main thing
1: Thank you, thank you very much. Thank uh, you so I really much.
0: It. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. Please take a moment to rate or review the show and also share it with anyone that you think might enjoy it. You can follow me on Instagram at Tilly at With or email me Tilly at at gmail.com.